Well, the starting lineup was energized, but uh, you're the second server. So coming off the bench, you guys celebrated well, celebrated really well. Thank you. And I, I want to, as one of your pastors, uh, just encourage you and say thank you for applying God's word and God's challenge to invite people and uh, to celebrate the Holy Week really well. And uh, I can tell you what's neat about our job is we get a lot of emails, a lot of phone calls about things that were happening in the congregation over Good Friday, Saturday night, and Easter Sunday that we weren't aware of. Stories about people who had been invited. I know that there was a family here for the very first time ever to church as a result of the basketball camp we ran. There was just stories after stories, and you need to be encouraged that the seed was planted well last weekend. And now we've got to pray that God will water that. And uh, our responsibility is to continue to have the conversations with those friends of ours that we invited. But I just want to say thank you. Thank you for making celebrating Jesus Christ a priority in your life last week. And thank you for making coming to his house to gather with his family a priority in your life today. This morning at the end of the first service, I had a conversation with a young man. And uh, I just want to say, how, how many of you are thankful you woke up this morning and came to church? Exactly. You're thankful. And uh, I'm grateful for the team that prays before the service, and I love the prayer of the one man this morning. He just said, God, wake up those people who uh, are not awake yet. And uh, I thought, wow, that's great. But this man, this young man had come to me, and he said, I just want to clarify something. It's right that I can worship God anywhere, right? Like, I don't have to come to church to worship him. And I said, yes, you're right. We can live a lifestyle of worship. But we're going to learn a little bit about this in our, in our time through God's Word today. But we also need to help to speak truth and love to people. And I said, well, I said, I don't want to become legalistic or anything, but I just said, I know in Scripture it says don't forsake the gathering of yourselves together. And so I said, really, it, it, it's not okay that you don't come to church because we're encouraged to, but not out of religiosity or legalism, but recognizing that what God has done for you, absolutely, you need to be in church. And so I just want to encourage you, as you're tempted by the enemy to not come and have your soul enriched and worship together with the body, just remember, don't forsake gathering yourselves together, for it is so important. So thank you for making that a priority in your life this morning. Well, this morning we're going to continue in our series in the book of Ephesians. And uh, the series, if you're new with us this morning, that we've been going through is entitled Chosen, What It Means to Belong to Christ. And uh, we're going to continue that series this morning. And, and uh, I'm sure you can understand it's pretty intimidating to try and fill Pastor Rick's shoes uh, behind the pulpit. So one thing I have learned as a younger man is stick to topics you know well. And uh, so what I want you to do this morning as we start a sermon is I want you to think about your favorite all-you-can-eat restaurant. Okay? <laughs> And uh, that's a subject I know well and I'm comfortable with and I know I won't go off track. But I want you to think about right now, where, what is the favorite all-you-can-eat restaurant that you go to? Some of you, maybe it's the Mandarin, all right? Uh, for some of you, maybe it's, uh, I know families in the past that it's a certain golf course and it's family tradition that on Easter weekend we go there for the brunch and it's all-you-can-eat favorite breakfast foods. And kids, choose whatever you want and just keep eating. Uh, for some of you, this is not familiar territory for me. It might be like a sushi bar uh, type restaurant, all right? But when I think of my favorite all-you-can-eat restaurant, there's only one that comes to mind, and it's called the Carnivore. The Carnivore. Now, I know it's a, probably a surprise why that would be my favorite restaurant. Uh, probably two things. Number one, it does not highlight vegetables. And uh, number two, you don't have to get up to get your food. Uh, it's brought to you. And the Carnivore is a restaurant that some of you have ate at. Tim, did you guys eat at it? So Tim and Cindy went to the Carnivore when they were in Nairobi, Kenya. There was a lady after the service this morning. She came and said, I've ate at the Carnivore. And I was like, that's awesome. So the Carnivore is in Nairobi, Kenya. And it's a great restaurant. And all you do is you, play, you pay one uh, flat rate, and with that, you get a plate, and you get some potatoes and your courtesy vegetables. And then the rest of the night, you simply sit there, and waiters and waitresses will come around with these big skewers, 
and uh, basically they'll just shave off and you just tell them yes, no, thank you and there's roast and there's lamb and there's chicken and pork but then there's also all kinds of wild game that you can choose from. I mean all kinds of wild game and uh, the antelope, you know, zebra, ostrich, giraffe, crocodile, monkey. Yeah, there's, you can try anything. You can try anything. And all you say is just yes and no thanks. And so it's great. You don't ever have to get up. But the thing that's common with all all-you-can-eat restaurants is eventually you always hit that critical point. <laughs> it's a sad moment in the evening when you hit the tipping point where what looks so beautiful at first, you just go, I cannot take another bite. I cannot have another bite. I got to get up and move around. I got to do something. I can't just keep sitting here eating. Now, I told the first service, if you want a, a tutorial on how to make the most of your money that you pay for at your all-you-can-eat restaurant, ask Charles Ting for a date. The guy, I tell him he should write a book. He is incredible. I have gone with him a couple of times to, uh, he likes to go to the Great Moon Buffet in Whitby. And uh, it's a science for Charles Ting. And he's taught me the importance of hot water. And he's taught me the importance of starting with this and building a foundation. And then when you're ready to switch from the healthy food to the more meaty food, you must clean your palate with ginger so that you don't interfere all the taste. I mean, the guy has it down to a science. And look at his size. So he's got something going for him, right? So, but it's incredible. But we all hit that critical point, that tipping point. We're just like, I can't eat anymore. I got to do something. And as we've been working through the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, we have been feeding on some of the richest spiritual food related to God's goodness and the marvelous salvation that is ours through Christ Jesus. We've been covering those truths in the first three chapters. Truths like, in Christ I am no longer dead, far from God. Instead, I have been made alive and brought near to God, in relationship with God. The barrier that kept me far from God, my sinful nature, my sins have been forgiven through the shed blood of Jesus Christ and his powerful resurrection which we celebrated last weekend. And as a result of that, if you're in Christ, you have now been granted access to every spiritual blessing, including experiencing the power of God in your life and experiencing the love of Christ, which we learned how high and long and wide and deep his love is. You can personally experience that because you are in Christ. And today in our text, which I'm going to get to in a moment, it's like Paul, under the direction of God, realizes his audience is probably at the tipping point. They're probably at that critical point where they can no longer just keep feeding and taking in all these rich spiritual truths. And we'll see in his letter today that he makes a shift. He makes a shift from focusing on the rich doctrinal truths of our salvation to the application of those truths. In light of this, so what? In light of this, how should we live? How do we actually live out? How does this fantastic, marvelous salvation that we have received, how does it actually impact the way I live my life? What is supposed to be our response to his call on our lives? It was not good enough for the congregation that he was writing to in Ephesus to simply understand and believe these doctrinal truths. It was not good enough for them to just sit around and discuss them and to debate them. Although that is good and although it's excellent to get together with brothers and sisters and try and work out the truth and the application of God's word. But God intended us to understand these amazing, rich, spiritual truths so that it would ignite us, that it would be the fuel that would move us into action. They are to cause us to respond. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning, our response to his call, to get up, to do something in light of the goodness and marvelous salvation we have received through Jesus Christ. As one author put it, if God's salvation is so good, then we ought to live like it. 
If it's really that good, then we ought to live like it. Another author I was reading this week, he said we have this $5 million salvation, but too often we give it a 10-cent response. And so this morning we are going to look at the clear and practical instructions Paul gives us regarding how to live a life in response to God's grace and call on our lives. So if you have your Bible, would you turn to Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll begin reading in verse 1, and we'll read through to verse 16. Our response to his call. As a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to, one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ, gave, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Let's ask God's blessing for his, on his word this morning. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you have not left us as your followers to try and figure out how we do this on our own, but I thank you that you have given us clear instruction, even here in the book of Ephesians, about what our response to this amazing call that you have given to us should be. So God, as we look at it this morning, I pray that you'd help us to understand it. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to discuss it, but I pray that ultimately we will apply it. So God, would you bless your word this morning, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. They had hit this critical point filled with all this doctrine and Paul then finally tells them what they're to do. They had to do something. And what that something is, is live a life worthy of the calling you have received. The calling is the salvation that we have been offered and that by faith we have received in belief in Jesus Christ. That is the calling we have received. Received, again, emphasizes the point that our salvation is not of our own works. We didn't earn it. We didn't merit it. It's a gift from God that we simply received. So he says to them, I urge you, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Can I encourage you with just a side note that hit me this week as I was preparing? I'm very eager, and I'm sure you're very eager, to be able to look at another person's life and be able to feel um, a sensitivity towards wanting to give them a word of encouragement. Okay, maybe it's someone younger than you. Maybe it's someone who you see maybe isn't walking closely with the Lord. And you want to give them this challenge, and you want to urge them to follow the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Can I just say one of the most important things to remember before you open your mouth to give a challenge is to make sure that you are applying that own challenge in your own life. Make sure you're applying that, own cha- that, that challenge in your own life. The positive effect we desire when we want to challenge someone, the change that we'd love to see in their lives as a result of us spurring them on will be greatly influenced by whether they see us applying that in our own lives. You see, Paul had credibility to give this challenge to the church in Ephesus because how does he start chapter four? As a prisoner for the Lord. As a prisoner for the Lord. He's basically saying, my position here in jail is a position of honor. 
because I'm here for the Lord. You see, Paul totally understood what a life worthy of the calling he had received looks like. And based on God's grace in his life to be able to see his position as a position of honor for the Lord, he is able to then encourage the church in Ephesus to say, hey, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. So can I encourage you, before you put out a challenge, evaluate your life to make sure that the challenge you give them will be credible because they can see you applying it in your own life. So Paul goes on after telling them what they must do. What is our response to his call? To live a life worthy of the calling. And he goes on to describe what that looks like, how they are to live. Live lives worthy of the calling you have received. And notice the context which in he fleshes this out. The context is in how we relate to one another within the body of Christ. Often the first thoughts that come to my head when I think about, okay, how, how best could I live a life worthy of the calling I've received? Often my first thoughts go to how am I living before outsiders, right? That's often the first thing that comes to my mind. And here Paul is saying in this context, hey, listen, if you want to know how to live a life worthy of the calling you've received, it starts with how you relate to your brothers and sisters in the Lord. And you see, too often we get so focused on the outside that we forget about our relationships on the inside. And our effect on the outside is only gonna be as strong as our relationships and our unity is on the inside. And so Paul says, here's how you do it. And then he gives some practical things, some virtues that we are to show to one another. And so the first point I wanna make this morning is that we need to, in wanting to live a life worthy of the calling we received, we need to keep unity in the crosshairs. We need to keep unity in the crosshairs. We need to live lives that are focused on promoting and valuing and contributing to unity. Because if we do not keep unity in the crosshairs, we will miss the target. We will miss the target. You might say, okay, well, that's pretty easy to apply. Yeah, keep unity in, keep unity in the crosshairs. Keep, stay focused on unity. I'm reminding you this morning, we think it's easy, but we need to constantly put this into practice. As most of you know, I enjoy the outdoors. That's why I eat at the carnivore. Most of you know this is a scope. And uh, how important is it to keep your target in the crosshairs? Well, I'll tell you how important it is. One of the first years I started hunting, I was so excited. I mean, every little squirrel that jumped, I thought it was a 10-point buck coming through the woods. I mean, I was just like, a, just standing there like this and going crazy. And I knew that one of the guys I hunt with was to the right. And so we're sitting there, and some guys are walking through the bush to see if any deer will come out. And as I'm standing there, I see something moving coming out of the swamp. And I'm like, oh, wow. And as it came out, it was a deer. And I was like, wow. And I was totally ready and prepared, and I had the target in my sight, just like this. And I was like, wow, look at that deer. That's amazing. And I thought, it was to my right, so I thought, well, surely Tom's going to get it, so I'm just going to wait, because I don't know if I'm supposed to get it, so I'm not going to mess it up, so I'm just standing here waiting. Well, Tom shot. Boom. And I went, whoa. Tom missed. And the deer came running straight towards me. And I've never shot a deer. And I'm like, this is incredible. I can't believe, God, you're so good. You're like bringing it right to my lap. And I'm like standing there. All of a sudden, this deer comes running by. I'm like, well, we'll get it in the sight, get it in the sight. Shoom. Gone. Deer one, Pastor Calvin zero. <laughs> never even got a shot off. And I hate to tell you this, that deer ran within 10 to 15 yards of me. Yeah, that's really bad, right? Why? Because I did not have the target in the crosshairs. I was standing like this. I did not have the target in the crosshairs. Fast forward now about seven years. In between, I learned my lesson. As soon as I see movement, put the crosshairs up and get the target in it. This fall, and this is a story I haven't even shared with some of my closest hunting friends in the church because it's so embarrassing. They don't even know it's happened. So there's this truth coming out this morning. This fall, I'm standing, it was a hot fall, so the deer weren't moving. They don't like moving in the heat, nor do I, so it's good. So we, we get each other. I know where to find them now. So anyway, my friend Brad now is to the right of me, and I'm standing there, and nothing's been moving all week, and I'm ready again, just like this. And all of a sudden, I hear boom, boom to my right. Worse than I hear, Calvin, big buck coming! And I went, 
Oh, this is unbelievable. I've already won one in my living room. Well, my wife has always wanted one in the living room. So I was like, big buck coming. If Brad's yelling big buck and he's shot twice at it, this is a big buck. So I am totally ready to get this big buck. And I hear movement and I see jumping. And I'm so distracted that I didn't even see the antlers. And off the big buck goes with no shot. Amen, she says. That's right. Dear to Pastor Calvin Zero, right? And you know what happened? As soon as I, as soon as, it, and it happens like in boom time. As soon as that was gone, I went, what did I do wrong? And I'd forgotten. You got to constantly keep the crosshairs ready and get it on your target. Because we forget so quickly that we will miss the target And so in this passage this morning, Paul is passionately urging with all the force possible within him, and I'm going to passionately with all the force that I have through the Holy Spirit this morning to say, folks, we got to live with unity in the crosshairs of our perspective in terms of how we relate to our brothers and sisters. Because if not, we're going to miss the target, and we will not have lived lives worthy of the calling we've received. So here's some practical things he does. Well, how do you keep unity? Be completely humble and gentle. Humility is one of the most foundational Christian virtues, and it starts in your mind. It starts in the way you think about yourself and the way you think about others. It starts in your mind. And if you go to Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, listen to what the Bible says. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility... Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interests of others. The way we think is to value ourselves above others. That's the natural way we think. But here we understand, be humble. Understand who you are and understand who other people are. And in light of the first three chapters of Ephesians, all of us should understand that all I have And all I am is a gift from God. I am nothing without God. That's the platform from which we have to launch the way we think about ourselves and other people. Because if I understand that I am nothing and I have nothing, everything I am and everything I have is from God, then that's going to put me in the right thinking. Then I'm going to actually be able to value others more important than myself. So it starts in the way we think. And who do we go as the great example? Jesus Christ, the next verse, in the same context that Paul's dealing with. In your relationships with one another, have the same, interesting what it says, mindset. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. In order to be humble, it has to start in transformation in the way we think about ourselves and others, because then that will connect with our heart, and we'll be able to have the right motivation to actually act in humility to another person. Head to our heart to our hands. Be humble. Humility was not a virtue that was highly valued or respected in the ancient Greek culture. And I would say if you've spent any time watching the news lately about the race that's going down south of the border, just look at our own culture, I don't think humility is a value that is very respected and chased after in our culture today either. But let us remember who this challenge to live a life worthy of the calling you received is to. It's to believers. It's to those who are in Christ. If you're in Christ, that means you are part of his kingdom. You are a citizen of his kingdom. Therefore, in the way we live our lives, we must value what he values. It doesn't matter what culture values. What matters is what does God value? And I am his citizen, therefore I must demonstrate to the world around me the values that matter to God. Be humble, completely humble and gentle. You see, if we don't learn humility, we'll never be able to be gentle with one another. Because gentleness depends on how I think about you. 
And if I think about you in a biblical way, then I'm going to be able to, by God's power, have a spirit of self-control, a mild, mild spirit, and treat you with gentleness. Gentleness like humility is a characteristic we find in Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 1 says, talks about the humility and gentleness of Christ. So be humble. How do I live this life? In my relationships with one another here in the church, be humble, completely humble and gentle. Secondly, be patient, bearing with one another. I love how John Chrysostom defines patience. It means to have a wide and big soul to have a wide and big soul so that you are able to, over time, endure annoyances. You're able to, over time, endure character weaknesses or flaws that you might see in someone else, peculiarities between us, biases. And if you think you don't have any of those, just look in the mirror. We all do. And the Bible says that we are to be patient with one another, to have a wide and big soul towards one another. And patience will then enable us to be able to bear with one another, basically to put up with one another. To put up with one another, but how? In love. It's not a matter of, oh yeah, I'll do it because I'm told to do it. It's not, that, like my conversation with a gentleman this morning, it's not a matter of just come to church because you just gotta do it. No, you come to church because you're in Christ. You're motivated by his love. So we are patient and we bear with one another because we are in love. We are in Christ. This is not a feeling, but an act of our will based on having personally experienced the love, grace, and patience of God in our own lives. It doesn't come naturally. It's not a feeling. It's something based out of what we have experienced in our relationship with God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 and 15, it talks about how Christ's love compels us. This is what I'm talking about. This is what Paul's talking about. Based on your experience of being called and experiencing his grace and having access to all the spiritual blessings that you have, his power and his love, put up with one another. Because I've put up with you. I bear with you. I'm patient with you. So extend that to those in the body of Christ. He then goes on to say in verse three, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Here's the deal. Related to keeping the unity in the crosshairs, you cannot be indifferent about this. As a follower of Jesus Christ, if you are in his family, being saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, keeping the unity in the crosses is not something you can ignore. You cannot be indifferent about it. You cannot be lazy about it. Scripture says make every effort. That means we must initiate the action. We must take steps. We must consider how we can contribute to keeping the unity of the Spirit. Be zealous. Be eager about it. Value the unity of the spirit we enjoy together because we are all in Christ. Note it does not say make every effort to make unity. That's not what it says. It says make every effort to keep unity. This is something that is given to us. When we received the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ, we were brought into the body of Christ. We were brought into unity of the Spirit through the reconciling work of Jesus Christ. When God called you to himself, he also transplanted you into his body. And that's where this unity that links us together lies. This is the unity we share. This is the unity we sing about. I believe. This is the unity that we must value and that we must invest in and that we, we must make sure does not in any way get hindered. Why? Because our unity is in the cross. Our unity is in the cross. And Paul starts there in verse 4. And he lists out all the things we share in Christ. This is what links us together, brothers and sisters. In Christ, there is one body that we share in. One spirit. One hope. One Lord. One faith one baptism, and one God and Father. That is what links us together. That is what we must work hard to keep the unity 
in the spirit through the bond of peace. One body, that's referring to his church. There are not different bodies in different locations. There is one body, and each congregation is a local representation of Christ's one body. One spirit. We have all been drawn and called into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ through the same spirit. One hope we share as brothers and sisters in Christ, the common hope of eternal life given to each believer and sealed by the spirit. We share the same calling, and we're on the way to the same destination. One Lord. This is Jesus Christ. While the world will say to you, you can have many lords, small l. As a follower of Jesus Christ, our response to his calling is, we report and give allegiance to one Lord. That's Jesus Christ. One Lord. There are religions that will say, there are many lords. No. In the kingdom of God, there is one Lord, and that is Jesus Christ. One faith, that's the content of the gospel that we all agree upon. Although the body is diverse, although it's represented in different cultures, languages, and races, we are one body linked together because of our one faith, the content of our gospel. Salvation is through Jesus Christ alone. I am the way, Jesus said, the truth, the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by me. One faith. I, uh, my niece, uh, Carly, a uh, beautiful young lady, and uh, God has blessed her with an incredible singing voice. It, right when she was young, she'd come up to the farm, and I was just like, man, God has just given you an amazing voice, and he has. And uh, praise God, she's on a full-ride scholarship at a university, Christian university in Philadelphia, where she is in music and singing, and uh, she had the privilege uh, two weeks ago to tour uh, in Italy. And so this week, Jen sent an email out to Carly and said, hey, how is Italy? And of course, she said, well, it's gorgeous, all right? But it was the second part of her text and her reply that just really caught my heart. This is what she said. It was incredible to worship together with people in a different language. God just brought us together and allowed us to impact the Italian people. What an awesome experience. You see, she caught a glimpse and understood that even though she was worshiping with people in a different language, who have a different culture, a different race, there was this incredible sense of unity and joy because of the faith that they shared in Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, I pray that God will help me, will help you to understand this is only one drop of the body of Christ represented here today. The body of Christ is beautiful. It is filled with variety of color and culture. But we all share. There's no diversity in what we believe, the foundations of our truth. But there is diversity. I wonder this week how many of you spent even 30 seconds mourning the fact when you heard 72 Christians were murdered in Pakistan last week. The body of Christ. Brothers and sisters in the Lord, living out their calling in a way that is worthy and killed. May God help us to understand and have a new respect for each other who are in the body of Christ. One faith, one baptism, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says this, Start in verse 12. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. Listen, one baptism. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. And finally, in verse 6, he wraps up by saying, One God, Father. By including God our Father, Paul is wanting all believers to see that the unity we share in the body of Christ goes far beyond just our interpersonal relationships. It's so much deeper than that. The unity that links us together is actually seen in God himself who calls us. Deuteronomy 6.4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. So in these seven elements... One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. In these seven elements, 
we see the Trinity. One Spirit, one Lord Jesus Christ, one Heavenly Father. It is in our union of being invited in to this unity that is in God himself. It is in our union to him and in our personal relationship with him where there is power to actually be able to live out the virtues we discussed in verses one through three. Without his power, you will not be humble. You will not be gentle. You will not be patient. You will not be able to bear with one another. And you really won't care too much about making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit. But if you're in Christ and you understand what you've been given, and you say, God, by your grace, I want to respond well to the calling you have given me, then guess what? You will. You will. And that's the second point. You need to be encouraged this morning. He doesn't just give this challenge and say, good luck, all the best, go for it. No. He equips you well. He equips you to respond well to the challenge of living a life worthy of the calling. And he equips you in two ways. First of all, personally, in verse 7, it says, but to each one of us grace has been given. Grace, this is not referring to the saving grace. This is referring to grace to do ministry. Grace to be a contributor to keeping unity in the spirit through the bond of peace. This is God-given enablement to be a contributor, to live a life worthy of the calling. Note that in our unity, we share diversity and individual responsibility is not lost. Here's what I mean. We're not all the same. We don't look the same. We're not all good at the same things. But we are unified. There is diversity within the unity we share of being in Christ. And how does that show up? It shows up in the variety of gifts God has given to those who are in his body meant for the common good of the whole body. Within our unity, there is diversity, and that diversity shows up in spiritual gifts. Gifts are simply the unique and different ways the Spirit works through individuals for the good of the whole body. Here's some things you need to remember about gifts. Everyone is given at least one gift. No one is excluded. So I have news for you this morning. The world is constantly wanting to give people labels. This morning, you need to know that according to God's word, you all are gifted people. Every single one of you are gifted. You have at least one thing, and some of you even more than one thing, that God, through his spirit, has made you really good at to help the church at large. Gifts are a reminder of God's grace. You didn't earn it. Whatever you're good at, you didn't merit it. You weren't worthy of what you've been given. Therefore, whatever God has made you good at, don't boast about it. Be humble and use it to build up the body. Gifts remind us of his grace. And finally, we see here they are distributed according to the sovereign will of Christ. And then Paul, in this section, verse 8 and 10, he, he refers back to the Old Testament. He goes to Psalm 68, verse 18, which is actually referring to God and God's triumphal uh, victory. But he uses that and adapts it to make the point to his audience that Christ has the authority and the right to distribute these gifts as he apportioned it, as the scripture says. Why? Because when Christ ascended after his resurrection, he had fulfilled all the prophecies regarding the redemptive tasks during his incarnation. When he ascended, he's the same man who descended to earth to be among us. And while here he lived a sinless life, he was killed, buried, and rose again, and as a result of that, his work well amongst us, he has the authority and is now the head of his, the church, therefore he has the right to distribute the gifts as he sees fit. And Paul takes that section, refers it to an incident in Psalm 68 to help them understand he has the right and authority to do this. He is the head. So all of you have been personally equipped to respond well. Then on top of it, Corporately, he gives the church people to, again, equip you well to respond in this whole area of keeping the unity. Notice what he says in verse 11. God gives specific people, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And what is their role? What is my role? My role is to equip. And here's what's interesting. God helped me to correct the way I speak about this 
in my mind as I was studying. I often say my role is to, to equip you, to equip uh, the saints. But I love the way Paul makes it so specific. Our role is to equip who? His people. Man, when you attach his to your identity, that changes. That, for me, that just all of a sudden goes, whoa. Okay, you're not just Ben. You're Christ's. You're not just Tim. You're Christ's. You're not just Leanne, you're Christ's. Now all of a sudden, that puts a sense of awe and responsibility that my role is to equip his people. What an honor. What a joy. Brothers and sisters, you need to understand you are not Pastor Rick's. You are not Pastor Steve's. You are not Pastor Ken's. You are not Pastor Calvin or Dwayne or Pastor Nick. You are his people. You are his people, and when you look at your brothers and sisters in the pews on Sunday morning, you need to recognize that person is God's, and I need to value them, and that's going to help me to be motivated to want to make sure I'm in good spirit with them and make sure that I'm unified with them, be patient and humble with them. It says to equip his people. Now, he listed some people there. Apostles, apostles are no longer part of the functioning of equipping churches in this day and age. Because one of the qualifications to be an apostle, you were God's agent who had visibly seen the resurrected Lord. Well, they're no longer alive. Then you have prophets. We would be careful to identify anyone necessarily today as a prophet, but the work of a prophet absolutely is part of our ministry. Every Sunday, the work of a prophet is to teach the truth and explain the relevance of the gospel. So absolutely, we do profess God's truth and by God's power hopefully make it relevant to you so that you understand it. But we would not call each other prophets. But we do have evangelists. Evangelists are people who primarily have been gifted to really explain the gospel well to unbelievers. As one author said it, they're gospelers. That's a cool title, I'm a gospeler. I simply go and share the gospel. And of course, pastor and teacher. Well, we're here. Pastors are simply shepherds to lead, feed, and care, not for my flock, for his flock. That's why you're so valuable. You belong to him. So he has equipped you to respond well personally and the church corporately. And notice the emphasis is on everyone being involved in the ministry of keeping the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Finally, your response matters. Your response absolutely matters. Matters to who? It matters to those sitting around you. Again, that's the humble way to think. Not about how is this going to benefit me, but responding well to the challenge to live a life worthy of the calling you've received matters to those sitting in your pew and sitting up in the balcony. Why? Verse 12, so that the body of Christ may be built up. Your response to the challenge to live a life worthy of the calling matters because it affects how this local representation of his body is going to be built up, how it is going to be internally strengthened to be able to go out and do the mission which Christ has called us to. He says further after that, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. It matters because it's going to determine whether we become mature, whether we get to the point where we share the same biblical convictions and understandings of Jesus Christ and the doctrines concerning him. If we do, we will become mature. Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, that basically means we need to, by God's grace, work hard at this so that we will, as a congregation, reflect the character of Christ. Reflect the perfect, balanced character of Christ. He was humble, gentle, patient, bared with people. Did he make every effort? Absolutely. Without him, we wouldn't have access to God. So it's important how you respond because it's going to affect the body at large. I want you to take a look at this contrast. This is a contrast if we choose not to respond well, if we choose to ignore that we've been equipped to respond well, if we choose to not keep unity in the crosshairs of our lives, versus if we do. 
If we don't choose to respond well, then we will remain as a congregation as infants. We will not mature. If we choose to respond well to the challenge this morning, we will experience maturity, attaining to the full measure of Christ. If we don't respond well, we will be tossed about. We will be tossed about. We will be unstable in our ways. If we choose to respond well, the scripture says we will be be joined and held together. If we choose not to respond well, we will experience deception. We will deceive. There will be deception in the congregation because we won't believe the truths of the gospel. If we choose to respond well, we will be able to speak to one another truth in love. Just as I did with that brother this morning. We will be able to speak the truth in love and live the truth in love. If we don't respond well, what we're going to experience here is simply going to be from humans. The wisdom, the power, whatever we do here is simply going to be originating from humans. That's not going to last, and there's no power in it. If we choose to respond well, everything we experience will be from Christ. If we don't respond well, we will become crafty people serving ourselves. If we choose to respond well, we will become loving people serving other people. I was so excited on Friday afternoon, I was sitting in my office, the phone rang. Believe it or not, I'm telling you no word of a lie. The phone rang while I was watching a red fox eat a wild bird in the backyard of the church. I tell you the truth. No word of a lie. It was incredible. As I'm on the phone watching this, I get a phone call from a gentleman in our church. I'm nervous about preaching. Time's running out. And I'm like, okay, are my thoughts coming together? And uh, this gentleman gets on the phone, and it was totally a phone call appointed by God. Because I started off responding to him, even though he couldn't see me, without much patience. I was like, okay, buddy, yep, yep, yep. And this guy was excited. You know when you get that phone call, it's like, this isn't going to be a short one. This man is excited. And so finally he was saying, I just want to tell you what God has been doing in my life. And I'm like, okay, forgive me, Lord, for I've sinned. <laughs> you know? And all of a sudden, he just came back from a two-week cruise in Europe. And he said, everywhere I went on the boat, all these 4,000 people, I kept being surrounded by Christians. And God, through that vacation, was helping to open his eyes to how beautiful, how precious the body of Christ is. And guess what happened? He came back, and he said to me, and I I asked for his permission to share this. He he said to me on the phone, he says, Pastor, all I want to do is make sure that I'm contributing. I want to use the gifts and the abilities that God has been giving me to help the ministry here at Calvary to grow and to, to be on fire and to make sure and meet needs that aren't being met. And I just went, wow, that's someone who is eager and zealous and understands that they've been equipped to respond well and is now saying, here I am, I'm ready. How you respond absolutely matters. See, there is this amazing working relationship we see in verse 16. We share with Christ and we share with one another. What we experience, we've learned, is all from God made possible through Christ. But at the end of verse 16, it says, it will be built up and mature in love as each part does its work. As each part does its work. So my question to you this morning as we wrap up, are you, based on the instructions you've heard from Paul this morning, are you contributing to or hindering the growth, maturity of the body of Christ here at Calvary. Are you contributing or are you hindering to the unity, the growth, and maturity of the body here at Calvary? Our mission here at Calvary Baptist is to help each other develop into fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Folks, unity and mission go hand in hand. Our mission to make mature disciples of Jesus Christ is going to be crippled if we are not united in the spirit through the bond of love. So as we conclude our service this morning, we are going to sing and remind each other of the rich truths of our faith that link us together. There was a line in, the, in one of the songs that I wrote down in my notes while I was worshiping. Let everything I do be founded by my faith in you. We are going to sing about the rich truths of our faith, which is what unites us, and I pray that God will recover in each one of us
a deep appreciation for the calling we have received and remind us that with the gift comes responsibility. Whether we are living lives worthy of the calling we have received is going to be reflected on how we live out the reality of God's love that we have personally experienced one with another in community. I pray that you will sing this song as a declaration of what you have in Christ and now with an understanding that you have to do something with that. Live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the instruction that you have given us. Thank you for how you have helped us to see how beautiful and precious your body is, the church to you. Oh God, would you forgive us for the sins we've committed against one another? Will you forgive us for not being humble and not being gentle, patient, bearing with one another? Forgive us for being lazy and indifferent about making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit that we enjoy through the bond of peace. God, we want to be mature. We want to be effective. So would you help us with all the rich food you've been pouring into our mouths and into our lives. God, I pray that you would shape us according to those truths that we're going to sing about now so that our actions will be shaped by the rich truths of who you are and what you have blessed us with. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, we have been given such an incredible gift. United with God, united with one another. And you know what's amazing? We're going to see those 72 brothers and sisters one day. We are because we know the hope that we have. We don't have to doubt it. We don't need to be tossed to the left and to the right. And even in times of suffering, we can rely on God's word that he will never leave us nor forsake us. I pray that God will ignite in us such an appreciation for the calling we have received that we will respond well. We will respond well this week and live a life worthy of the calling we have received by keeping unity in the crosshairs. Not being discouraged, but being excited that I have been equipped to respond well to the challenge we've been given. And your response absolutely, my response absolutely matters. Not for my sake, but for the body of Christ. Obedience is the only appropriate and proper response to the gift of grace we have received. May God help us to live lives worthy of the calling we have received. God bless you.